Austin O'Brien didn't see his elite level success until after college. In 2016, he got the idea to try and qualify for the Olympic trials marathon. And in 2020, that dream became a reality when he competed in the Olympic trials this February after qualifying in November uh, 2019. Austin has been running 100 plus miles per week for months on end, and he takes his recovery routine very seriously. We talk about how he fits his recovery into his busy schedule, sleep, and one more unique practice he does as part of his recovery routine that is unique to him. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Each week, we explore how to recover more efficiently from training so you can work out harder and realize your full potential. This is the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Hey, Austin, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I know uh, our listeners are excited to get into your recovery routine being 100 miles a week running. That's uh, very impressive. But before we get started, I want to put out a fun fact because sometimes it's hard to compare apples to apples or apples to oranges in the sport world. So uh, for those of you that don't know, um, according to runrepeat.com, Austin just making the marathon trials the olympic trials puts him in the top 0.06 percent of all marathon runners and in comparison to football that would be like a high school senior graduating um high school playing football has a 0.09 percent chance of making it to the nfl so austin you if you were a football player you would essentially be good enough to be in the nfl so you are definitely in elite company. Um, and I just wanted to put that out there because that makes a little bit more sense to people. So like many elite athletes, you start young. Uh, when was it for, for you? When did you start running? Yeah, well, so I, my mom was always a runner um, growing up. So it was always just something I saw her do. But I actually initially went out for cross country when I was in middle school, seventh grade, I was, I started to really develop a love for basketball and I was totally obsessed. So my thought in seventh grade was, well, Hey, I don't really care so much about football. So why don't I go out for cross country and, you know, get really, get really fit, get in shape for basketball season, because that's my main sport. Right. Well, it, lo and behold, I started running really well, running fast, got better every single race and ended up winning the state cross country meet in seventh <laughs> grade. And it, you know, it just kind of stuck that I, I ended up being a lot better at running than I was at basketball. Yeah. So with, when you said, Hey, I'm going to go out for cross country, did you prepare for that season at all? Or was it just kind of like show up on day one, not knowing what to expect? Um, I mean, like I said, my mom ran, so I kind of knew a little bit about what she was doing and I would go yeah. on like little two mile runs with her. But okay. honestly, all of my aerobic fitness was just playing basketball for six to eight hours a day running up the court. So 
but yeah, in terms of like what you would normally do for a workout in a cross country practice, it was totally new to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then just to be clear that, uh, state me, that was seventh and eighth graders or was that just seventh graders? It was separate divisions. So that was seventh graders okay. versus seventh graders. Yep. Cool. Cool. And, uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, the Eastern side of Iowa. Um, I went to Pleasant Valley High School, and that's in a town called Bettendorf. Okay. Cities. Yep. How big is that? Um, my school had about a thousand students. We were we were a 4A school, which is the largest class in Iowa, but we were probably one of the smaller schools in that division. Okay. So okay. Yeah, my graduating class is around 250. All right. So you found cross country in seventh grade. I would imagine then you started doing track then as well. Um, and did you continue on with basketball where, I mean, were you dual sport through high school and everything? Yeah, I, I was doing cross country basketball and track for the longest time. I think I, it was after my sophomore year that I, I stopped with the basketball. Okay. Um, but you know, I was, I, I've been five nine since eighth grade, and it hasn't yeah. changed. So uh, <laughs> I um, saw the writing on the wall a little bit, and, and yeah. just decided to pour it all into cross country and track coming my junior year. Okay, so is that when you would say like you were you were hooked on running, or did you know before then uh, that you were like, hey, running is going to be my thing. I'm just going to wait out basketball until I can't. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And actually, it's kind of funny. I, I really didn't care for running at all. Um, I, I really despised it for the longest time. Really? Um, and I, I think what brought me back was just the competition, the competition of it. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I was finding success competing against people at a, at a pretty high level. Sure. Um, I was going to some of those AAU and USA track and field national meets and, and getting top three finishes. So I, I mean, I was finding myself competing at a very high level in middle school. And I think I just got addicted to the competition aspect of it. Yeah. That part was really fun for me, but it took a long time before I could honestly say, you know, I was starting to love running. Yeah. And that probably didn't happen until college, honestly. Okay. So were you running year round in high school or was it just seasonal? Yeah. So it was mostly seasonal. I mean, I, I would always run a little bit, but before I, while I was still doing basketball, so we would have our like summer cross country prep period, just a bunch yeah. of easy running miles, no, no structured practice or anything. And then cross country season, obviously ramp up the training and then basketball, I, I would just kind of run casually mm -hmm. outside of basketball practice whenever I wanted to, but I guess it ended up being year round naturally when you do cross country and track, it, it yeah. does get pretty close like that, but there was a natural breaking period in between each season. Okay. Okay, cool. So you went to college, um, you ran for what, um, central was yep. that, that right? Um, how, how did that go? How was the transitioning from high school to college for you? Yeah. So it was, you know, it was interesting. I, I was more of a middle distance runner at that point. So I, I got into Central College, a small D3 school in Pella, Iowa, and I was running a lot of 800 and 1500 meter races. And, and I started to see some success there, but I, I wouldn't say that the elite level performances I was doing 
at like the middle school age group that had kind of stalled out. I saw glimmers of it in high school, especially my senior year. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was just running, a, you know, pretty good for like a, a division three, um, school in our conference, but I wasn't really competing on a national level until my senior year. Um, I, I started getting really good at some of the distance events. Um, I, I actually lost a significant amount of weight to, to help with that and ramped up the training volume. And then all of a sudden I found myself competing nationally again in cross country. And then again, yeah. in the, in the mile and 5k distances on the track. So what was that volume ramp up from, you know, your junior to senior year? Yeah, I was probably running. I would guess when I got to central was probably about 60 miles a week. And then it maybe it got into the seventies a little bit and eighties during my junior year. And then my senior year, I definitely had a few 90 mile weeks, but it was more, more long-term consistency in the eighties. Okay. Okay. So you said you were competing nationally then what, what kind of, um, meets places times were you running in college yeah so it was there was a few races where we would go and run against some of those really competitive minnesota and wisconsin schools Mm -hmm. who traditionally had you know a ton of all-americans and occasionally they they would have like the individual national champion um so i remember there was one race we went to in lacrosse and there was a, there was a guy that I really wanted to to beat in the 8k and I beat him that day running 24 48, I believe for 8k on a pretty flat and fast course. Um, and he was very good at that point, but then he actually ended up being a national champion before he graduated. He was, he was a year younger than me, but, um, that was, that was probably one of the turning points for me in my senior year. I was like, okay, I, I can compete at this level. You know, these are, I'm beating some, some really high caliber runners here. Yeah. And for those that don't know, an 8k is a five mile race. So when he says 24, 48, that's sub five minute pace for five miles there. So, um, so then after central, I know, um, I, I know I actually have a personal connection with you because we raced against each other when you were at Mankato, uh, for grad school, um, so I guess, first of all, let's back out. What were you, what were you studying at Central? And then what, what was your grad school program? Yeah. So at Central, I was studying health and exercise science and I had a few options with that, but I've always been fascinated by how the mind works, you know, with, with athletic performance. And mm. I started looking for graduate programs and that's where I, I got into Minnesota state Mankato into their sports psychology grad program. And that's what I studied for the two years while I was there. And since I studied abroad in my time at central, I actually had an extra season of track eligibility to use. And, you know, that's where I got to compete against you and get dusted by you in the last hundred meters at a conference <laughs> meet. <laughs> yeah, that was, a. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say dusted by any means. <laughs> if we can find a, a photo of that, I'll, I'll stick it in the show notes. Cause it is one of the most epic finishes, uh, with three guys and less than a 10th of a second apart, um, really straining for the finish there. So, um, Absolutely. So what, what kind of mile times were you running in, in central and in Mankato? 
Yeah. So my, my PR in the mile, it's still my PR in the mile. It was, uh, it was 410.8 or nine, something like that. Um, and I, I actually ran that at the division three national meet okay. in 2014. And that, that got me the last all American spot that year. Oh, nice. Um, I, I think I was, I was probably fit enough that year to run in the four, four Oh seven ish. Um, but it, it's kind of hard to find opportunities where you, where you get a race that takes you out fast in division three. Um, when I ran my four ten, we actually, our, our first half of the race was about two Oh eight or two Oh nine. So it was, a, it was a pretty tough close to, to bring yeah. it in. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. So then, um, through your college career, did you have any injuries or any, I mean, what, what was, especially with runners, there's a lot of overuse and, and injuries. So is there anything that was particular that stood out for you? Nothing really. I've been really fortunate on the injuries. Um, obviously I'll occasionally get some little nicks and, and, mm-hmm. you know, pains that kind of go away if you take care of them. But I've never really had any significant, you know, like I need to stop running for three months type of injuries. There have been times where I've had, you know, like sore Achilles or plantar fasciitis, mm-hmm. random foot pains or, or uh, leg pains that caused me to, you know, have to change my plan a little bit in, sure. in training. Um, I do remember at Central in my undergrad, I had, at, there, you know, that's when the, the barefoot running thing came oh, out yeah. and was, it was, was a really big thing. And, and there was a lot of mixed evidence on that. So I'm not encouraging people to, to try barefoot running, but, um, I, what I did do was I went from being a big heel striker to running more on the forefoot. Okay. And I started to notice that I had a lot less knee pain and that I was kind of nursing an injury in my ankle that just, it was not like a, something that stopped me from running again, but it was yeah. more just a constant like nagging pain and that went away when I switched to more of a four foot strike. So I, I, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So you've been pretty healthy and I know in our prior conversation, you said one of your strengths is your durability. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with your recovery routine, which we'll go over here in a second, but, uh, I want to take, it, okay. So at, we've kind of gone through your college career after that. When was it that Austin said, Hmm, I might be able to make the 2020 Olympic marathon trials. Yeah. So my, my second year in grad school, I, I actually wasn't really running very much. I took a, this would have been in uh, late 2015. I, I took a, a significant amount of time off from running and when 2016 rolled around, you know, it's an Olympic year and that's kind of when, you know, everyone gets excited and starts running really fast. And I start seeing guys that I competed against in college when I was at central, not necessarily qualifying for the Olympics, but they were going for some of those Olympic trials times Mm -hmm. and coming really close. And that's, that's when I just got really excited and like, man, well, if they can do it, you know, what, what's stopping me. Yeah. And so I started training again and it was, it was a really rough start after taking a um, significant amount of time off. I think it was about four or five months and it took a long time to, to get back to where I was obviously. Yeah. But um, once I started 
going with it, I kind of had my eyes set on 2020 and I had this, it was totally unrealistic at the time. And I just, I wanted to qualify for the Olympic trials in something. And I think at that point I would have preferred it to be like the 5k or the 10k on the track. Yeah. And of course that's still a, a dream of mine if I can find an opportunity and I, and if I'm fit enough, but the, but what I notice is that those times just keep getting faster and faster and those races are more and more competitive. And it, it's yeah. very hard to get into those, into those races and even into the, to the qualifiers, you know, it's hard to even make a meet, get into a meet where you can run that kind of time. Yeah. Um, so I started to look toward the marathon and the, the marathon standard was breaking two hours and 19 minutes, which is about five eighteen pace. Um, to get a spot in the Olympic trials. And of course there, it, it's not an easy feat to do, but in my mind, yeah. it sounded more feasible for my ability level than say a 13, 25 K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I started training for that and, and ramped up the volume and just kind of had some hit or miss success for a number of years. And sure. then finally in late 2018, I, was kind of a friend of mine started working with uh, Tom Schwartz, a guy who coaches Tin Man Elite and pretty yeah. well-known coach in the, in the field. And, and he, he went from being a good runner to being, you know, one of the best in the country. He actually broke in Austin. He actually ended up winning uh, the national marathon championship in 2018. So after yeah. kind of seeing his trajectory, I, you know, I was sold on working with, with Tom. So I reached out and started that relationship in 2018 and, started to see some significant improvement in the marathon world. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you said you ramped up volume. What kind of volume are you doing now as far as miles per week? Now I'm kind of stagnant. I would say I've probably been in the 90 to 105 for the last six, seven months. But when I was experimenting before working with my coach, I, I mean, it, there were times I, I would try holding like 110, 120 for a while. Yeah. But there's just some when you're, when you're coaching yourself, it's, it's hard to be objective. So you don't really do the workouts that you need to improve or, you know, just something in your training system isn't balanced right to where you can actually see improvement. Sure. So I definitely burned myself out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Was it, uh, just the sheer volume or we, I mean, with the burnout type of it, or was there anything mental, um, to that? with training partners or not, you know, having a coach. What you know, you think? I, I think it was, I'm doing all this work and I'm not improving. Mm. You know, I got to, uh, after starting training again, after grad school, I, I started to, to have some pretty decent races. I had an eight K PR on the roads. I think I ran about 24, 25 at a fast race in Chicago. And after that, you know, I really didn't see a whole lot of improvement despite putting in a lot of work and it, you know, that causes a certain level of frustration as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to is, yeah. and, you know, eventually when I saw a guy who was going, well, he's coached multiple guys, Tom has, who have gone from being very good runners to very, very good runners. And, and you know, he's helped them see more improvement. So I jumped on that train and it's definitely helping so far. Yeah. Cool. So um, and how long you've been working with Tom, you said? I think we started in November of 2018. Okay. 
And then about a year later is when you ran your qualifying mark for the trials. Yep. Yep. And then, and it, go ahead. It wasn't the it wasn't the prettiest of of buildups. Um, we actually ran. So I did a Houston marathon in 2019. So that's a January race. That was my first marathon, and and my thought going into that was I'm just you know very few people run a very good debut marathon, so I wasn't expecting much. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I was just going to go into it and see what the marathon was like because, you know, qualifying for the 2020 trials and now it's early 2019, I better get on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I got into that first one, but as the, as the time got closer to it, I was starting to feel really fit off of, you know, Tom's new training system for me. And I started to have these thoughts of like, well, shoot, you know, maybe I should just go for it. Maybe I should, you know, start going after the 518 pace right away and, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And wow, that, that, <laughs> that was a big blow up. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, I, I think I made it through about eight miles at that pace and it, it wasn't hard at that point, but I just had that thought of like, wow, there, there's a lot of miles left. And <laughs> I, <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't going to happen that day. So I, I yeah. started you know, slowing down that day and ended up running 231 on the debut and, and had a very rough last, you know, 10 miles or so. Um, but you know, we, we kept going. We, then we got into grandma's marathon, which was in June of 2019 built up for that. Um, definitely a, a new level of fitness and got in, you know, ran 222 there. So it was significantly better, you know, went out at the 218 pace again, and lasted longer, but then made a decision about halfway through. It's like, well, do I risk a big blow up again or do I salvage, do I start slowing down a little bit and salvage, you know, a big PR? And and I'm glad I did because I feel a lot better about 222 than 231. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then after that, it, it, you know, you start to think you're, you're halfway through the year. Realistically, you only have one more really, really good shot at, taking the qualifier because you know for those of you who don't run marathons it it takes a lot of time to build up for one and it takes a lot of time to recover from one mm-hmm. so i started eyeing some fall marathons and monumental marathon in indianapolis ended up being the choice for they usually draw pretty competitive fields and it's a very flat course um so ended up going out to that one and and had an interesting build up to that. I actually had some, probably my worst race of my entire life in the build up to that race. Right. And so I'll, I'll tell that story. So I was training all throughout, and, and usually in a marathon build up, I like to find different types of races to stay sharp. So I'll find some 5Ks, okay. some 10Ks. So this particular race was a 10 mile in September, and I was training wasn't going great. Um, and I, I went into it. It was a hot day. Yeah. I just, I just ran so poorly. I thought, okay, with the heat and not feeling great, I should still be able to run 53, 54 minutes. Right. Cause 53 yeah. flat is the pace to qualify for in the marathon. So yeah. surely I should be able to do that for 10 miles at this point. And I ran 57 something. It oh was, man. It was rough. You know, it, it was a time where my high school self would have, crushed me, you know, <laughs> and I was so broken after that race. I was like, what is going on? This is so, this is unacceptable. And 
Yeah. Finally, I, I investigated a little bit, got some testing and found out I was anemic and very iron deficient and, you know, talked to my coach about it and they started, you know, adjusting the training a little bit as needed to, to get those iron stores yeah. back up, obviously taking an iron supplement. And once, once those numbers got back up, it didn't take long. And, and finally a few weeks before the race, literally two weeks before the race, I finally had a glimmer of hope running a fast road 5k and then yeah. running a, a, a solid tempo at the marathon pace. And that's, that was the first time that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm fit enough where this is actually a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In November last year at monumental marathon, I, I had a, a really good day, really strong pack of guys going for the time standard and it, it all worked out. Sweet. And what place did you, um, place in that race i think i was uh, six or seven i don't remember okay. exactly what place i just i just remember that we went through 20 miles and i had about a 30 second cushion on the standard yeah. that i needed to run and you know and i was still feeling pretty good at that point so in my mind i was like okay i just i got it you know i just need to cross the finish line and yeah worked with a few other guys in the race to battle some strong headwinds around mile 23 and we got to the line together and at that point i was like i don't even care who you know who who beats who here because we're all yeah. going to atlanta <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome so you, you talked about um being anemic then it's, it's actually pretty common for endurance athletes uh what what were some looking back on it now what were some signs that you maybe could have picked up on before actually having that race that you, you know, felt like the world was ending. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. And looking back, I mean, now that I have been diligent about iron supplement and iron consumption, like mm -hmm. I, I'm seeing a lot more improvement from my training. Mm -hmm. I think an early sign would be, there's many things that could cause this, but I think one thing that looking back is like, okay, I've hired a great coach who's given me a great training plan and, and I'm getting worse. You know, what's, this doesn't make any sense. So I think that would have been an early sign for me. And I, I think this is something that I had been dealing with for a number of years, just because if you don't have iron in your blood, one of the ad adaptations to training is building more red blood cells and, yeah. and getting stronger that way. But if you don't have iron, you, your body is not going to do that. And you're not going to adapt to the training that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and as we know, training is really about recovering, adapting to the training, not necessarily the training itself. Um, so we're going to dive into your recovery routine now. And obviously working with, um, Tom, you've been at 90, to you know 105 miles a week that's a ton of mileage um right around four, 14 or 14 to like 18 a day or something like that um on average obviously you don't do that every day but what on earth are you doing after your <laughs> workouts to be this consistent for this long um so i want you to start with thinking about maybe like one of your tougher workouts, explain what that is. And then we'll get into like, what are you first do to recover from that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, so th there's a number of, of tough workouts that I do. And, and I wouldn't say it's any one 
recovery secret that that really does it for me it's it's a combination of things but um like a, a given a given training week i would I, I would say is is kind of like the block so i wouldn't call it one hard workout but you can guarantee usually that like tuesdays and fridays are tough sessions where i'm you know one day i'm probably running about 3k 5k pace for a pretty good given amount of time. And then another day you can probably guarantee that I'm running about 10 K pace or threshold or which would be like your one hour race pace for a given period of time, both followed by some faster running either hill sprints or, you know, fast sprints. Yeah. So pretty, pretty intense sessions. And then Sunday is usually always a long run day where I'm getting anywhere from 19 to 22 miles. So the, I think the biggest thing, that I do in a given week of training that helps recover from that is, is the taking the easy days super slow. Um, I've never been one to hammer the easy runs, but before I started working with Tom, I was probably running a little faster than I needed to. And I've really, I've really dialed them back pretty significantly. And, and when you talk about recovering, from a workout, right? You, you stress one day on a Tuesday or a Friday. Yeah. So on a Wednesday or Saturday, I'm running really slow to recover from that workout, to recover from that stress and get ready for the next stress. So as an elite marathon, I guess, what, like, what is your recovery pace? Just so if somebody is a runner, they can say, okay, if I'm doing that, I'm probably running too fast for my recovery. Yeah. So it kind of depends on what time. I I mean, I'm, I'm mostly a morning runner. So yeah. When I, when I start at six or 7am, nothing really works. Right. <laughs> so I'll, <laughs> you know, that first mile probably, it, it could be anywhere from seven fifty to eight thirty, depending on how tired I am. Yeah. And then I, I'll, I'll kind of naturally get into a flow of seven thirty pace on a, on a typical recovery run day. Yeah. Um, some days get a little faster, but I, I'm never breaking seven on Wednesday and Saturday. That's like a guarantee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I think when I asked coach how fast I should do my recovery runs and he basically just said no faster than your 5k race pace plus two minutes a mile. So okay. I'm well above that even. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it sounds like you're not even focused on the pace. You're just kind of running what your, your body wants to um, and how, how that feels, whether it be morning or afternoon you know, is kind of what dictates it. Absolutely. I, I'm really big on, you know, what is the purpose of the training session that you're about to get into? Mm-hmm. And I think it's super important for athletes of any sport to really dial into that. What are you trying to get out of this session? And for me on Wednesdays and Saturdays, it's to recover from yesterday. So, yeah. you know, it, it's all about, it, it really doesn't matter how fast I run. It's just, am I doing what I need to do to recover from yesterday and prepare for the next hard effort? Yeah, sure. So besides, um, besides actually running or, you know, um, what, what other modes of recovery do you practice? Yep. Uh, so I think there's, there's a few that I think I'll, I'll highlight one of which being nutrition and I'm not a nutrition expert, so I won't, I'm sure you'll have some of those on the show and, yeah. and I won't <laughs> go into that too too much in depth, but I really focus on when I get done with my morning runs, I I really focus on getting a good amount of 
carbohydrates in. I, I think a lot of runners and athletes in general probably don't consume enough of the carbs due to our carbs are bad culture for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really focus on that and just getting something in within a good half hour or so after I'm done running. But probably the, the three biggest things that I do on a very regular basis. So I do, I, I have a, one of those percussion massage devices that I bought a couple of years ago, uh, the, the hypervolt. I don't know if yeah. you've heard of that one. Um, there's a, there's a few devices like it around right now, but it's something that I've used probably two or three times a day since I've got it. So I've totally gotten my money's worth out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one thing I'll do a lot, I'll do this every day. And I usually just kind of do it in the afternoon when I have a little downtime, I'll do this hypervolt massager, you know, all over my lower legs and all over my body. And then I will go straight into the foam roller mm. and I don't know if there's anything scientific about it, but in my mind, the, the massage device that I use at the beginning kind of gets my legs more receptive to the deep tissue massage that the foam roller would give me. Sure. So between those two, that's, that's probably about 20 minutes of active recovery that I do every single day. And I, I've been very disciplined about doing that yeah. during this time of running all the miles. Yeah. How do you stay like, how, how do you remember to, to do that every day? Do you do it at a certain time of the day or? Um, not really. It, it's If I have like a down period at work, it could be over a lunch break or, you know, if I have a 20 minute down period at 3 PM, I'll do it then. Um, sometimes if I have to do it at like six o'clock at night, that's fine too. I just make sure that I get it in. I'm not strict about time. Like mm -hmm. if I, if I create a series of like tasks that I want to get done, with running or with anything, I don't put like times that need to be done. I'll just list them sure. and just know that like today this needs to be done. So like yeah. the, the foam rolling and the, the recovery routine is definitely part of that. Okay. So, and I know you do something else that's kind of unique as well, but before we get to that, uh, I want to ask you how much sleep are you getting? That's a great question. And the answer is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think I've seen a lot of things where athletes need to be getting like eight to 12 hours of sleep. And, you know, I, I work a full-time job like everyone else. That's not always yeah. feasible. Um, I, most nights I'm probably in the seven to eight range. So I probably do better than most people in my position. Mm -hmm. Um, fortunately with this COVID period where I get to work from home, you know, I've been pretty fortunate about finding a good 30 minute nap in the middle of the day. Nice. over like a lunch break. And I, I think that's helped pretty significantly too. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, so being a, have a master's in sports psych, correct. Uh, you know, I know we are talking before you do some meditation as part of your, just kind of your day-to-day -day routine. Um, but that obviously has an impact on recovery as well. And first of all, just kind of tell us like, what, what does that meditation, when do you do it? And, and what does that kind of entail? Cause I know meditation, when so you say it to somebody it can mean a million different things to everybody. So, right. And, and there are a number of ways to meditate. Um, and I'll just keep it simple. Like what I do I, I do this first thing in the morning when I wake up 
So I'm usually up around 5, 5.30 a.m. And the first thing that I do is a 12-minute mindfulness meditation. So all I do with this is I'll kind of find a comfortable spot to sit, either in a chair or on a couch, you know, something like that. And I'll just close my eyes and focus on my breath. So I'll be really, you really want to just follow your breath through your nose, down through the inhale, connecting with your diaphragm, and then, you know, back up and out through mm -hmm. your nose. And you want to follow that as closely as you can. And what happens during this time period is that all these different thoughts come around, you know, things that you need to accomplish, thoughts about the past, you know, different ideas, all these things happen while you're meditating. And your objective is to acknowledge these things, that they're there, non-judgmentally, right? You're just aware yeah. of, of what's happening around you. And then you just refocus your attention on your breath. So no matter what you get distracted by, you constantly refocus your attention on your breath. Okay. And I'll do yeah. this every morning for five to 12 minutes at a given time. Okay. Is this something that you started before um, your sports site kind of interest or is that you've been doing all through high school too? Yeah. So that's, that's actually something that I learned while I was at Mankato. Um, okay. when I started studying sports psychology. Um, it, it's starting to become more popular in the field of sports psychology, but the more and more you read the literature about meditation, there are so many more benefits to it, right? Mm -hmm. There's, I, I've seen things where the neuropsychology behind it, after you practice it for eight weeks, you actually start to change structures in your brain that improve your emotion, your memory, mm -hmm. your attention span. So we're talking about things that are not just related to sport, but just positive for everyday yeah. life. But from the sport context, you know, when you're, when you're racing, you're trying to hold your attention, hold your focus for a prolonged period of time. Mm. And I think running is unique in that way. Other sports like football, for example, you're giving a high intense period of focus for a 10 to 20 second play. And then you, take a break and you do it again over yeah. and over again. So in sport, the better that you can hold your attention on, on the task that you're doing in the present moment, the better you're going to perform. Yeah. And that's really what meditation teaches, right? You're focused on your breath in the present moment and you acknowledge a distraction that comes by and you come back to your breath. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Any, any endurance sport where you're, it's like a sustained effort. Um, I being an endurance athlete myself, I run into this where I start thinking about the finish and what happens if I don't hit this time or where I really need to just focus on, okay, I'm three miles into the race. Like how much more can I give now? You know, instead of, and yeah, that's good meditation. So I know, um, you also help other people, um, with this kind of stuff or, or, or tell us a little bit more about your kind of day job. Cause it's, it's unique to sport performance as well. Yeah. So I am a mental performance consultant and I work with athletes both in a team capacity. So I'm working with a number of teams over zoom even, and, you know, we'll, mm, cool. and, and then also some individual athletes as well helping develop skills like confidence, focus, 
motivation and stress management. And, okay. you know, we, we, we focus a lot on the applications to sport performance first, but I'm also a big fan that these are skills that are applicable in anything that we do, right? Sure. Yep. School, your relationships, career. So I think there's a lot of value to it in, in multiple areas of your life. Yeah. So what, what types of athletes are you working with? Just runners or outside of that too? I work with athletes of all levels. I can relate best, obviously, to the, to the individual sports, the endurance athletes. Yeah. Um, so I do tend to work with a lot of runners. Okay, cool. Um, what, what's the, the difference when you're working with an uh, endurance athlete like a runner or somebody else? Do you, do you teach them different things or how, how do you navigate that with, you know, obviously you were a basketball player uh, back in the day, but how do you navigate that with not actually being in their sport? That's a really good question. Um, the, the skills are the same. I'll say that but the way that they're applied are different. And that's what, you know, makes, makes doing this so much fun is because not only are the skills different for, or not only are the skills applied differently for every sport, but they're also applied differently for every athlete. So Mm. in the one-on-one setting with an athlete, that's where I can really work with them to customize, for example, a pre-performance routine. So what, you know, what do they do? What's their checklist before they get to a race or to a basketball game or before, a tennis match, right? So it, it's about getting their mind ready for that specific event. And I think it's just, you have to be aware of the context of the different sports. Yeah. Kind of, uh, for example, what I mentioned earlier with cross country is more of a sustained activity where you have to be, you have to navigate through different types of focus for, you know, 15 or 18 minutes, whatever that is for you. Yeah. But whereas running or whereas football is more just like a burst of focus, right? Yeah. And then you, you can do something in between each play to kind of bring yourself back to the present moment and get ready for the next play. Yeah. Cool. Um, so if you had an overarching, like, this is the most common thing that people struggle with when it comes to preparing the mind for the the competition or the practice. Uh, What would you say that is? I would say what I'm seeing now, and and this might be unique to runners, but I I think it applies to a bunch of other sports too, is kind of the the pre-competition nerves and and understanding that they happen for a reason, right? They're, you you on some level you need to experience this nervousness or this stress before competition it's a good thing that helps you bring you know bring the best performance out of yourself so that it's a it's a different experience than a typical practice or a hard workout day right um and then and really just working with them to help develop strategies where if it is overbearing how do how do they dial it back a little bit so they can enter sure. their best performance zone okay yeah. So just dealing with the, the pre-competition nerves. Now uh, how I did that. Um, and you can tell me maybe this is way out of line, but <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I would just tell myself instead of saying I'm nervous, I'd say I'm excited because then it would be like, okay, I'm getting ready for it. And nervousness has this connotation, like 
something bad might happen where excitement's like, I'm, you know, 100% ready. How, how yeah. would you say that mental prep was? That is actually a fantastic strategy called reframing. Um, so you, you, you were able to take something that might be perceived as a threatening situation, but changed your perspective of it to something positive. And I, I think that's a very positive thing to do. And kind of going off how you did that, um, Jared Ward, who is a who is a marathon Olympian in 2016 for yep. the U.S., he I saw him say something once that was really intriguing to me. He actually called the term before race. He's nervous sighted, right? Nervous and excited. Yeah. And he just he just blended it together and called it nervous sighted, and I just thought it was one of the most. <laughs> yeah, you know, incredible things I've I've seen because it's so true, right? It, it's yeah. it's a combination of all of it, and yeah. it, on some level, if you're not nervous for an event, that's that might impact your performance a little bit. So yeah, you want a little bit of that adrenaline, but not so much it impairs you. Cool, absolutely. Um, so before we get in into the the last part, while we're on the subject, if somebody is like, hey. I want to find out more about the mental coach thing. How, like, where can they find you and, and talk to you about that? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. My handles are AOB underscore three, three. Um, you can also email me at Austin at mentally strong consulting.com. Okay. And I'll have links to that in the show notes. So if you're working out now or if you're driving somewhere, uh, you can find that in the in the show notes and that'll be there. So you can reach out to him more on that topic. So we are uh, needing to wrap up here, but I just got three quick questions for you. One, if there was a recovery tool, uh, meaning something besides just going out there and running that that's the only tool you could have for the rest of your life or your career. What would that be? That's really tough. If it were financially feasible, I would have a traveling sport massage therapist. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I would have to go with the, uh, the percussion massage or the hypervolt that I have. Um, you can take it everywhere. There's different attachments you can put on it to, yeah hit different spots, but that's what I would go with. And you said you, you use the brand, the hyper vault. Hyper ice is the brand. Hyper vault is the, is the actual device. Okay. I'll put a link into the show notes for that too. So, um, second question, your, your purpose for doing your sport. Why do you, at the end of the day, why do you run? Yeah, I think that's twofold. Um, my, my personal and selfish reason, I, I just recently kind of started to see my potential in this sport and where it could go. And, you know, now that I've kind of got my iron figured out, I'm starting to see some rapid improvement in fitness levels. And it's easy to get excited when, when you see things improving for you. So I know that I've got a lot more potential to hit with this sport and I'm just excited and, and I love pursuing it every day. Um, But there's also this other side of it where if I can do it, other people can do it too. And mm-hmm. it, it, if you're passionate about it, you love what you do and you're consistent about it, you can absolutely hit your potential in, in any sport endeavor that you do. And yeah. I think that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. Austin just gave you the roadmap, passion, consistent and love, and then you'll you be go. successful. 
just it, the, the biggest thing that you see and Jared Ward, again, I'll quote him, but a lot of other people say this too, is they just say, keep showing up. And I, you know, I, I think that's very accurate to what I've done over the last few years. I just mm-hmm. keep showing up every day. I do the work that's prescribed by my coach and I'm starting to see improvements. So just keep showing up. (laughs) Awesome. And, and lastly, uh, what is your biggest asset for success? Yeah. Um, we talked about my durability. I I think naturally I, I, I'm very good at staving off injury and and I'm sure that's a combination of my, my body structure and, and the recovery routines that I do, but I would, I would have to say my durability because I can be very consistent at a high training volume for a long period of time. And that's, that's where I'm going to see improvement. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Um, the very best advice from an elite marathoner, Austin O'Brien. So if you'd like to check him out on social channels, again, that is AOB underscore three, three on both Instagram and Twitter. Correct. And um, if you like what um, you heard, you can also email him and I'll have that his email in the show notes. Um, And lastly, if this episode brought you um, learning, if it inspired you, don't be selfish, share it with a teammate, share it with a competitor, maybe, um, or just give them half of the show for the competitor so you can still beat them. But um, (laughs) Let's help everybody stay injury-free, and we'll see you next time. All right, episode's over. If you found value in this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already yet subscribed, do so now so you don't miss any important topics in the coming week. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, please send them my way. I am most responsive on Instagram. That's at jcheese, J-A-E, cheese, like the food, or email me directly at jace, J-A-S-E, at science of sportsrecovery.com. Talk soon.